You're about to listen to a Second City Works presentation brought to you in partnership with WGN Radio. Subscribe on your favorite podcast streaming platform or listen on WGNRadio.com. And be sure to share. Although the Second City isn't doing in-person shows, classes, or events, we're doing all of those things virtually. Head over to secondcity.com and you can sign up for a class. We've got really affordable drop-in classes where you might be improvising with people from other countries. We're doing corporate workshops and events. And we have a whole new slate of virtual shows that you can get tickets to. Get more comedy in your life by going to secondcity.com. So today we talked to the Reverend Dr. Jackie Lewis, who is a public theologian and the first Black senior minister at the Progressive Multicultural Middle Church in Manhattan, which was founded in 1628. Uh, She's the creator of the MSNBC online show, Just Faith, and the PBS show, Faith and Justice. Uh, She has a new book called Fierce Love. Um, I enjoyed talking to Jackie, and I think you're going to enjoy this conversation. The Second City is a world-famous comedy theater, and it got so famous because it has produced generation after generation of comedy superstars. That didn't happen by magic. Second City's improvisational pedagogy fuels great performance, and the same practices that made stars of everyone from Bill Murray to Tina Fey can be applied for success offstage, at work, at home, and in the world. I'm Kelly Leonard, Executive Director of Insights and Applied Improvisation at The Second City. This podcast is about collaborative conversations, seeking connections, and finding a better way. This is Getting the Yes And. Days can be counted by the money spent. Today was just another better left unsaid. Days can be counted by the time to rent. Tomorrow's just another like the one that comes next. The corner of the highway that leads to the job at the desk by the boss with the elegant watch. The tick of the clock and the tick of the clock mark the moments till the ticking stops. Jackie Lewis, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. How are you today? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm good. Thanks. I want to start our conversation actually about a dark day when you and three other women rented a car and drove to Charleston, South Carolina. And I Mm want to start there because I feel that this story embodies a core element of your book, which is the inextricable linking of joy and suffering, which Mm. is something that had come up quite a bit on the podcast lately. Yeah, that's a really good place to start. So this question that you have about what it means to get in a car with some other women and drive to Mother Emanuel, we were all at a conference at Sojourners in Washington, D.C. We were listening to amazing speakers talk about anti-racism and the intersections of economic justice and healthcare. And then we heard the news in our social media that these nine people had been killed at Mother Emanuel Church in Charleston. We just were devastated and we wondered what we could do. We started praying. Many of us were changing what we were saying in uh, the conference to adjust. And then some of us were just, we got to go, we got to go. So we got in this car and we, you know, two black ladies and two white ladies <laughs> get, get in this car and start driving south. And in the meantime, we're, we're back to our denominations. One of us is AME, one of us is Presbyterian. You know, we're, we're connecting with Auburn Senior Fellows, this group and a fellowship that are interfaith. What can we possibly do right now? Valerie Kaur is thinking about organizing a prayer ritual. We think that's right. What should we do this? How should we do it? 
what, what kind of hashtag should we use to invite people into prey into this um, wonderful uh, social media platform called Groundswell? Hashtag prophetic grief. Will that translate across faith? We're not sure. Let's test it. Called a few people. Called William Barber. Mm. Anyway, on the way down, on the highway, we are making a plan, making a strategy, deciding to collect prayers, deciding to do prophetic grief, deciding to collect as many prayers as we can and then deliver them to the families in Charleston when we get there. What happens? Prophetic grief trends on Father's Day, second only to Father's Day. Hmm. And what happens is we are exhausted and giddy and weeping and laughing and stopping for barbecue and fried chicken and telling each other stories and bonding. By the time we get to Lindsay's parents' house, which is where we're going to bunk out for the night, they have ordered food for us and gathered coffee and wine. And we talk all night like little girls at a slumber party and wake up the next morning uh, you know, doing our routines, mm-hmm. but we are weeping and joyful, weeping and laughing, weeping and grieving because we're all together and we feel a purpose and we feel a calling. And I think joy and grief go together like that. That's why we have repasts or wakes. That's why. Often after a funeral, people will gather and end up dancing. There is a kind of both-and-ness about the finitude of life that calls us to appreciate life. And that's what the joy was all about that day. Yeah, that comes late in the book, uh, which is right, because I think you have to do a lot of work beforehand. Oh, you do. You can't be delivering the, here's the joy. (laughs) Yeah, in in this incredibly dark moment. Kelly. Yeah, you you opened the book by writing, "quote Even before COVID nineteen showed up in our global family, we were living in what I call hot mess times." Yeah. Um, that may seem obvious, but I do want to talk a little bit about the various ways you see the hot mess we're living in in this country right now. Oh, thank you for that, Kelly. I I I've been grieving. You know, speaking of grief and joy, I mean, I got I've got the loudest belly laugh in my family. But I have been grieving the state of our union for decades, but most profoundly the last two as a clergy looking at, I mean, let's go back to 9-11. You know, let's think about the, the horror it is to be on a plane that turns into a missile. And also, what is it that makes a person want to do that? You know, what's the circumstances that makes folks want to turn their religion into a baton for hatred. I mean, the, I, the way that black lives in this United States don't matter, the ways that women's rights are on display for men to decide what we can do with our bodies, the ways the COVID pandemic revealed to us who we are as a nation because so many more black and brown people died the way the wealthiest of us make so much more money than the middle class of us. Sure. All of that just makes me weep sometimes. And I found myself wondering what I could do about it. Again, I run into fires and I preach all the time about love as a transformative power. 
but I did want to do something more. I went to preach outside of the church, if you will, preach outside of the box, talk outside of the box. So my church gave me a new title called Public Theologian, and I get to do stuff like this. Mm -hmm. But the hot mess, the hot mess I exegete as a whole bunch of people who don't love themselves running running a nation, running a nation into the ground, a whole bunch of people who think stuff will fill their hearts and fill their souls. And it's not going to happen. But the rest of us are suffering. That's what I think. Yeah. And you you write later in the book, hurt people, hurt people. Hurt people, hurt people. Don't you think it's true? Oh, yeah. A thousand percent. Even when we think about our our founding folks coming here for freedom, right? We're going to leave that oppression and come here for freedom, but we're going to steal the land from the people who lived here, call it discovery, reward each other with more land for taking the land and build the nation on stolen labor. And that's freedom. Not right. so much. Not so much. And, and we mentioned uh, uh, our mutual friend, Valerie earlier yes. in her book, see no stranger. Mm-hmm. And, and it deals in a lot of similar uh, uh, stories because she doesn't shy away from the personal pain that's right. um, and ties that to the larger arc uh, of humanity, which I think is something you do here. Yes. Conversely, you both also embrace this, this very positive, hopeful um, essence. And you introdu- introduced us early to a Zulu phrase, uh, Ubuntu. Uh, That's can correct. You, can you tell us yeah. what that means? Yes. And, you know, just, as, just to say, you know, shout out to Valerie and shout out to, uh, to all the people thinking about love as a power to heal us. It's, it's, mm-hmm. in the, it's getting to be in the universe. Thanks be to God. Mm-hmm. Ubuntu is a Zulu philosophy. So I think it kind of is as early as human, Kelly, because if you've been to South Africa, the cradle of civilization is right, right there, right outside uh, where these rivers converge and museum kind of has the oldest bones of the oldest known human right there in the Zulu culture is the expression Umuntu Ngubuntu Ngubantu. A human is a human through other humans. A human is a human through other humans. We're only human in relationship to each other. A person is a person through other people. They, they greet each other and say, Salbona, which means I see you or, or we see you. Us, me, my deities, my folks, all of us see you, and therefore you exist. The response back is, I exist, Sincona. And I first found this in a leadership book called The Fifth Discipline. I was like, what? I was so curious about it. And uh, went to South Africa and really had an experience firsthand in the truth and reconciliation conversations Mm -hmm. and the way that Mandela is in prison thinking about the humanity of his captors. That's some crazy that's a crazy kind of love. That's a fierce love. Yeah. So that that threads through the book as our calling to uh, see ourselves as inextricably connected. King would say we're woven in a garment of humanity. Um, what happens to you happens to me. Uh, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. All of those expressions that that rise up uh, in the consciousness and the imagination of religious people, but also secular people, that we can't make it through this time without each other. That's Ubuntu. 
the, this idea keeps popping up. Uh, we just had on the wonderful science writer, Annie Murphy Paul, who has a great book mm-hmm. called The Extended Mind. <laughs> and she talks about the fact that we think about thinking wrong. And one mm-hmm. of the ways that we think is in relation to other humans. And that's we mm-hmm. store a lot of, I store a lot of information in my wife's brain. And I'm sure that that is a <laughs> thing so you, with your husband. <laughs> Absolutely, it's true. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and 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 that's that's uh, quite intentional because the world is too complex uh, yeah. for us to be able to juggle all the different things going on. Um, but I think that that is true not just for um, uh, the mind as we think about trying to work out a mathematical equation. It's also true in the sense of this idea of an approach to walking through the world, um, mm. and and that we are utterly reliant on other human beings. And, and we understand this when we're babies and when we're old people, but I think sometimes we forget what comes in between. Right. Kelly, that's so important. Well, are you there? Um, I want to touch on uh, stories. Sure. You talk a lot about storytelling. I'm in the storytelling business. I think you are. Yes. Uh, and you write in the book, uh, quote, humans become human because of stories. Yes. Um, yeah. T- tell us about, talk to us about that. Oh my gosh. That's one of my favorite passages. You know, I was looking for, I went to grad school and got a PhD in psych and religion, looking for something to explain what I thought I noticed. So all these, you know, the, the, the conversations from Eric Erickson about human development is about stages, Freud's about drives. And this whole school of thought, object relations, says we become who we become in, in concept relationships, right? How were we held? Who, who affirmed us? Who taught us? Who mirrored to us that we were good? You know, did we, did we get what we needed? But how do you know that unless you know the stories around it, right? You just really don't know. So I, I think there's another school of thinkers, Roy Schaefer among them, uh, Howard Gardner even, but this idea that we become who we are in the context of stories. Gardner says, uh, leaders tell compelling stories that change the story. Oh, yeah. So when we preach, when you do your, your media thing, when we are um, creating film or, or narrative, we're actually trying to increase the imagination as we become. Oh, I can become that. And I think my job as a preacher and a writer is to really story to make that a verb, to story for folk in my congregation, for little kids, for old folks, that we can be who we want to be. And and we can change the story, which gives me so much hope, Kelly, mm-hmm. because so many of us are not in control with the narratives that we receive as young folks. Um, we're not, and we are stuck inside. But a good therapist, a good coach, the good intention of a journal can help us to, I think, re-narrate or change our story, transform our lives and the stories that shape us. I have a friend named Joey who um, is a trans man who's been coming out to himself almost the whole time I've known him. And he's about to take a new name, Giuseppe. And we'll be preaching at Middle Church soon. Mm. And the title of the sermon is Say my name so I can change my narrative. Mm. Right? Yeah. I was lost, I'm found. I was blind, I see. I was hurt, I'm recovering. I was wounded, I'm a healer. And all of those things all at the same time. Still blind, but still seeing. Those are the kinds of short stories about us that I think illustrate the point. 
Yeah, and I love how you went there because what I was thinking I was going to ask you is, so we get hired a lot by companies to come in and teach storytelling. Um, and I always first be like, so what do you mean by that? Are you talking about <laughs> sales? Are you talking about leadership? Are you talking about communication and collaboration? Right. But, but it doesn't, in some ways it doesn't matter because our philosophy here is um, all storytelling starts with you and your story. Yep. That, that that's if right. you don't have a handle on who you are and what that means. And when looked through a comedy lens, which I think is actually important in this, yep. in this context, that usually starts with something maybe you're not great at or a story that has some, an obstacle in it because that good stories have the obstacle. Good, good stories have a, a lot of bad things happen. That's, that's what right. makes it a good story. No one wants to hear your completely successful uh, vacation. Correct. No one wants to hear that. <laughs> right. Give me your fiasco and that's I am right. in. Yeah. That's right. And and you talk a lot about that as a starting point is is, is you. You're in and who you are and being because we're we're I mean other people will name us and you you've been othered uh but ultimately a way to rebound I think from that is when you have the strength of like no I know I know who I am. Yep. You I I say you are the expert on your stuff, right? You yeah. have to be an expert on your stuff. And maybe that's what it means to love ourselves honestly Kelly right is to say I can pick up this story about myself. I can look at it candidly, straightforwardly, um, without gloss and understand it, exegete it, you know, resource myself with it and see where I was broken and how that made me strong or see where I had doubt, but then I began to believe in myself. I just believe that if we were all, maybe this is what folks want you to do. It's what I'd want you to do. Mm. If we were all able to be, conversant in our story. Mm -hmm. I think we'd have a different kind of live, alive national discourse. There'd be less judgment. There'd be less bullying. There'd be less memes and animes about trying to kill people that you disagree with. You know, just we're not taught to look at ourselves closely. But I think if we do, we can find out why we're angry or why we feel so vulnerable or why we think our self-interest has to happen at the expense of someone else's. And I think then everyone's origin story starts with their family. Right. Um, so I'm the youngest of six kids. Okay. Where you, you're, I'm, you're the oldest, I'm the oldest of five uh, and, we, and we have another brother, so another I'll brother. say six, yeah, uh, second yeah. in line. Second in line. <laughs> second uh, in yeah, line well, in the a, larger family. That's still a pre- pretty powerful place to oh, be as my, yes. is, yeah, yeah. Um, and you say in the book, quote, on the outside, the Lewis children look shiny and great, end quote. So mm-hmm. that implies, of course, that things weren't always shiny or great. Hi, my siblings, if you ever hear this. Yeah, we we are... <laughs> We are a shiny bunch. I'm talking about Grammy award-winning singer, mm-hmm. law review attorney, mm-hmm. you know, incredible general. educator who writes plays, uh, mm-hmm. a general in the army, uh, a counselor who is in recovery, but now helps other folks recover and me, you know, yeah, <laughs> so yeah. there's like a lot of shiny going on. Mm-hmm. And, you know, our parents were, were two people from Mississippi who um, had Jim Crow lives, you know? Yeah. So we, we are raised by imperfect parents 
in an imperfect world, which means we're not perfect. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, um, I feel very blessed by the privilege of how I grew up. Mm-hmm. Uh, but even then, um, it's complicated um, because, yes. of course, the, the, they're, they're not perfect. And then I don't know about you, but I, I, as, as a parent now, and I'm in my mid fifties and I'm just like, uh, like, I don't know if I, I don't know if I could have handled the wisdom that comes with time, yeah. uh, but I do imagine sometimes oh, if I had that, I might've been paying attention, doing more to pay attention uh, in the mm-hmm. moment and, and could have been kinder with, with them and, you know, accepting of things that, and you, you, I mean, you went through some crap. Um, yeah. uh, with your parents. I love that theological term. We, I did. Yeah. I went through some crap. <laughs> you did. But you <laughs> yes. also found a way to come at peace with your, your parents. And I thought that's, that's the most important part of that story. It really is. And, you know, I, I, I love, and we lost my mom four years ago. Mm. And I dedicate this book to my dad and my mom, my first fierce loves. I am who I am to go back to Ubuntu because they are who they are. All of it, every yeah. bit of it. A really wonderful time when I experienced racism and they taught me how to walk through that. So I am a lapsed Catholic uh, oh. who has a, uh, it's not necessarily a complicated relationship with religion. Um, you write in the book, quote, before I made my living talking about God, thinking about God, writing about God, I was a person struggling to have a relationship with God. Now you were, your parents had you as church going people, right? And that, yes, yeah, absolutely. Same, same in my family. So when did it get complicated? Yeah, it got complicated as I was outgrowing God or outgrowing the God I had received. Yeah. yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, my parents, my first God was my mom telling me, God will always love you and God will never leave you. Yeah. Over the Eucharist. Ooh, I loved that. Yeah. But you start growing up and it's like, you know, what you can't do, and what you shouldn't do. And girls shouldn't. Nice means sacrifice. Nice means suffering. <clears throat> nice means, you know, doing more than your share. Nice means never, ever, 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 ever thinking about sex, let alone having it. Yeah. Until you're married. Right. Period. Right, 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 right. right. And that's and that's complicated because that that that's not that's not natural. No, no, it's it's not natural. It's not human. Natural. It's not human. And so, especially the cult of purity for evangelical girls kind of screws you up a little bit Mm -hmm. because you are split, right? I mean, I was good girl. I did wait, wait two weeks before my wedding. Wow. Got and had yeah. That was waiting, you know, Mm -hmm. but. But in the middle of all of the waiting, just on that issue, I would say, Kelly, was this kind of fraught, you know, who am I as a person? And I talk about the bad touch story in the book that you mm-hmm. know, like, kind of squashed me and made me think I better not be sexy. I mean, what, if, what in the heck? And I'm not saying that I'm not a proponent, frankly, of children having sex. Everybody hear me? I'm not, that's yeah. not what I'm thinking. Yeah. I am thinking that there's a natural curiosity about sensuality and sexuality that we should be able to, as church people, teach our children without squashing their souls. 
Mm-hmm. We should not do myths about masturbation, making you go blind. You know, we should not do the terrorize children about that. How can we teach people that our bodies are beautiful? Our souls are beautiful. We're in a carnate, you know, body. And that's, and it's going to like cry and it's going to laugh and it's going to feel good and it's going to feel yucky. It's just difficult to do that healthy talk with all of the garbage and baggage about sexuality that church does, which makes somebody like Matthew Shepard get stoned to death, killed to death, right? Um, It makes somebody, a trans child, you know, suicidal. It makes gay people uh, have to don't ask, don't tell in a church. That's just a little bit much. And, And I think the roots of all of that is back to the early church the universal church, the Catholic church, um, when it became the church of the state, how much can religion control our bodies? Mm. I'm just looking for a liberation from that, Kelly, yeah. Uh, yeah. A, a renaissance from that. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about fires. You've mm-hmm. mentioned it a couple of times and you have a couple of stories around that. And just to share, I have a fire story, um, oh, wow. which was I had actually midlife crisis, stepped down from running Second City was my dream job. I kind of yeah. felt like I had to because of issues and problems here, but they, they were like, stay on for a year. We'll pay you as a consultant. And like, you got to, but I had to figure out what I was going to, what I was going to do. And mm-hmm. I go on vacation. So this is just like two weeks into this yeah. go on vacation. And I get a text um, from my colleague saying your office is on fire. I work at Second City. I'm assuming that they're joking. They are not. Second they're City not joking. On fire. And my office was destroyed along with basically everything I had assembled over my 30 years. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. But it's a gift story because Hmm. it, it it was, there there was a kind of cleansing of, I have to now reimagine everything and I'm unweighed down by the Hmm. past. I have some tchotchkes you can see behind me that survived the fire. That's about it. Um, And, and, and really then went up along this path of, of reinvention and, This is what led me to Valerie and what led me to Ai-Jen Poo and led me to Alicia Garza and different people yeah. that we've collaborated with over, over time. And, and I, I, I don't have a, that's a great story for me in terms of yeah. what it ended up doing. And, and I, I don't know if yours, yours are, are, you know, maybe not all as hopeful, but there might, I think they're in there for a reason, those stories. They are. And they are, um, I mean, my first fire is I'm 20 something years old and I've left Eastman Kodak company on the West coast to come back East and everything on the moving truck burns up. And it really is my life. Cause I'm going to a 10 month training. Mm-hmm. I maybe didn't bring a couple coats, but I got all kinds of stuff, my piano, my bike, my stereo, like all the kinds of things one needs. And it was shocking. Yeah. There, there was a feeling I think Kelly of a release of, a disattachment. I was not attached anymore to those things. And you do the insurance work and blah, blah, blah. And then you got to go shopping. You're like, really, do I need that? There was a, do I need that feeling? Mm-hmm. The second fire is the fire that burned down our church in December of 2020. Yeah. I, I walk by that burnt out carcass of a church. Now the stone facade and the scorched whew, places. Yeah. But also, we found things in the fire. You know, in that that 20-something-year-old fire, I found that I just didn't need as much to be okay. I didn't need the things so much. 
which meant going to seminary was easy since you stopped making money and for three years and we're kind of broke and stuff. Um, that was a, a really important um, journey to travel through. But here, literally, Kelly, people covered the fire in China, in Beijing. We, we found in this fire a, co- a global community mm-hmm. of revolutionary lovers who cared for us fiercely. Paris and um, Australia and New Zealand and Ireland. And people joined the church. 500 people have joined our church since we shut down in March of 2020. Now, I don't know why, but they found us. They found us online now. They found us yeah. in the world of, of social media. And they, and they made our already growing movement grow faster. So what's that? I found my last couple of chapters to this book in the fire. I finished it after the fire. I don't know what I would have said about joy. Honestly, Kelly, mm. before the fire, I felt I found it really important to talk about joy uh, as an activist, as a, as a fighter, you know, a fighter for justice. I think that came from the fire as well. Yeah, that's 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 interesting. I, I would not have thought until I met these humans, and I mentioned Ai Jen Poo as one who's a, such mm-hmm. a dear friend. She's a joyful. She is a mm. joyful person, yeah. Right? I mean, it's like you just like you feel better being in the room, and she does hard, hard work. Hard work. Um, Valerie as well, and yes. and and that is having experienced that um, brings a whole other. I don't know. I, I wish more people knew that that was possible. That you could do the hard work, and you could laugh about it. And Absolutely. And be in communion, and it's not all stern drudgery. That 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 yes, it's painful and and it's real, but also like this act of serving. And, and social scientists will tell you this. Like yeah. my friend Nick Epley at the University of Chicago goes, "You're in a bad mood. Do something good for someone." That's right. It totally releases the the dopamine in our body. It, it yeah. totally totally does. You know, Valerie and I are both in the. We're both fellows at Auburn Seminary, and we have a friend named Otis Moss III who heard us all tell stories at a retreat once and decided to name us. Um, and so, <laughs> and so, I am Storm sure because I can change the weather absolutely. And and Valerie is Jubilee, and that's true. Uh, like she's yeah. she's like let's have chocolate, let's tea, let's be joyful, and it's contagious. She and Sharat and the kids. So I think that joy is a gift and some of us have it. I think I'm wired joyful, but I also think we can all cultivate it by noticing what makes us giggle, by noticing what makes us smile and walking toward that. Ritualize the the taste of a grape. Uh, Ritualize your bath time, your tickle time with your grandkids. Uh, Notice what makes you laugh and do it as a spiritual practice, just like you floss your teeth and brush mm-hmm. your teeth. What, what, what's your laugh moment every day a little bit? So you, and I, you know, I don't want to get stuck on what's happiness and what's joy. Lots of people try to like fine tune them and that's fine, fine. But mm-hmm. the word happiness in the Greek is the word blessed in the Greek. Mm-hmm. And so with your laps, 
Catholicness, right? And my not not as Christiany as I used to be. Ha ha. Uh, the Beatitudes have been really important to me. Blessed are you know, blessed are blessed are the poor in spirit. Happy are the poor in spirit. Why? Well, maybe they don't have so many attachments. I don't know. But um, I did some research on that word recently, Kelly, and it did have the sense that the ones who were happy, blessed, were the ones who had a kind of citizenry or the right Mm -hmm. that they needed. Isn't that fascinating? So like, okay, if you have the rights to life and food on the table and clothing and a place and voting you get to be blessed. You get to be happy. And wouldn't it be wonderful if we could confer that on every human being on the planet? For sure. All right. So in a moment, I'm going to ask you for your yes and story. But before we do that, mm-hmm. I want to I just explore a little bit more of the, the concept of fierce love. And you say in the book, uh, quote, you know what might be the riskiest, most uncomfortable, heart expanding, border crossing work of all? Loving those impossible people who are related to you might be what <laughs> tests you most. Um, and and I, get, I get what you're talking about because that, that is you know family, but I think we can extend that metaphor beyond that too, to being loving the people who are different. That's right. Absolutely. That's right. I, I was interesting. I was on the Today Show the other day and they were doing a bit about like, go home for dinner at Thanksgiving. Yeah. That, that yeah, is going right. to be a journey for folks, right? It there is. you got to sit with Uncle Bob. Yep. <laughs> Uncle gonna, Bob's got some things to share. He's got some stuff to say and it's going to make you want to, you know, throw up your turkey or something. Yeah. So that this is about also how do we love the people who are close to us with whom we disagree and how can you make us elastic kind of a space, a, mm-hmm, I hear you space. Uh, oh, so it sounds like you, that kind of stuff that we know how to do, but we think we won't do with our people. We'll just yell at them. Like I disagree with that, but can we, can we just be curious is what I, is what I would say. And in that same way, when the enemy quote, the opponent, the one you disagree with, is anti-vaxxer and seems insane to you, because uh, it does to me too. Mm-hmm. Um, I was talking to Melissa Harris-Perry, and you know, do we really want to be in agreement with Dylan Root? We don't. We do not. But can we be, can we acknowledge the humanity even of the worst person we know? Right. Right. That's all I mean. Don't you don't have to go dating with somebody or kicking it or go roller skating? Can we acknowledge the humanity of the person with whom we disagree the most? Because that's what it means to be a person. And I'll bet you there are parts of yourself that you disagree with that you need sure. to hold, right? So this yeah. idea of just I'm gonna hold on to you, your humanity, no matter what. Um, I've talked about this in the podcast quite a, quite a bit, but we have a, an exercise we created when we were working with behavioral scientists at the University of Chicago who are examining mm-hmm. how do you stay in conversation with someone who you disagree with? Because the whole idea around yes and is affirming and, and contributing and everyone sort of, and, and you, can't really, you can't really yes and with someone when, when you, you don't agree, like, like mm-hmm. on vaccines. And that's the example I always use when I talk about this. Uh, and we actually, we have a study coming out next year. And what we discovered is that the, the phrase is actually thank you because um, you thank someone for the information they shared, which sets off the gratitude part of the brain. And the because is essentially you have to find something, some point of agreement. Wow. So mine, in this case with the anti-vaxxing, which is, and I had this experience with a, a parents of a, a friend of my daughter's when she was ill. 
uh, and saying, you know, uh, thank thank you, uh, because we both care for our daughters so much. We don't want to see them hurt. You don't want oh, them I hurt. Love that. I don't want them hurt. I love that. Can I? And that allowed it? us to stay. Yeah, please stay. Yeah, it's for the world. But but it, it, and it gives it gives some. This is the thing that's missing from a lot of this stuff is we need to practice. How, how yeah. do we find places where we can practice those difficult conversations? And, and what are the tools that we've got in an ever-shifting context of, of horrible or not very good? I, I, so that's so important. And, you know, we, when we put this book together, when we put together Fierce Love, me and my agent, my publishers, there was so much going on in the world at that moment in time. Last year, you know, George Floyd is dead. Amon Aubrey yeah. has been hunted. Brianna Taylor's dead. You know, oh my God. And I'm, I am black, my people who mm-hmm. are listening. And I was just like, ah, you know, yeah. I want to just scream in the world and be like, stop it, stop it. But, but then I actually wanted to invite the world. And I, I playfully say I'm on the nice white people tour about race all the time. That <laughs> yeah. I want to say, look, y'all. We don't, you don't want this world this way, right. do you? And can we together make it better? Can we, so not shaming folks into this anti-racist work, but to say your child is watching you and what's the world you want to leave them? Do you want to leave this polarized world? Or do we want to leave a world where our children will, will find a way to, to get along together? And I, that is my soft touch. Sometimes I'm in the world, like my fist up in the air, screaming Black Lives Matter. And I think we need all of these modalities, Kelly, to to get to tomorrow. Uh, sometimes we need fierce um, activism. And sometimes we need fierce love. Yeah. And the, the activism is born of fierce love, but sometimes that love might be more invitational. And sometimes it would be more confrontational. And I think we have to know how to do both. Yeah, 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 100%. Which might be right. my yes and answer almost to your question. Yeah, well, I am going gonna, gonna to ask that. Is, that. is that your yes and or is there another? Uh... Um, I think I want to give you two. That's okay. okay. Just to stay, in, to stay on this topic. I am furious about furious about the state of our nation. Yeah. I, I, I'm undone. I'm through with toxic politics. I'm through with white supremacy tucked inside Christianity. I'm through with anti-women, anti-black, anti-Asian, anti-Muslim, anti-everybody who's white, straight, male, and rich. I'm just crestfallen, broken, pissed off honestly about it yes that's true and i do not want our nation to to devolve i do not want my grandbabies octavius and ophelia my niece and nephew rio and rj my young adult niece and nephew jordan and rj to be in this world in this nation in this place with all this anger and violence. Ah. So yes, I'm angry and I'm committed to dialogue, to conversation, to wrestling it out. I am committed to staying at a table, even with them. And it's a new commitment. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Well, we, we don't do this. We, we, we don't do this apart. We can't. We can't no. fix it. Clearly, no. we can't. I th- no. If we thought we could, we found out we can't. We have to do it together. So we have to do it together. Yeah. So that's that's one yes and. And I think the other one is, yes, I'm a good girl. And I'm not as good as I used to be. (laughs) (laughs) Reverend doctor. I just want to say that so that if there's someone listening, worrying if they're not good enough or they're not clean enough or they're not right enough or not pristine enough or not perfect enough that the God I love loves you anyway. And I want you to love yourself anyway. So maybe good enough is good enough. Right. Uh, When I give keynotes, I've used this line on occasion, which is 99% of us think we're frauds. I think that, and I have a resume that looks pretty good. Um, And there's 1% who who don't, and we know who they are. Um, (laughs) That's right. So it's it's okay to be a work in progress. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, The book is called uh, Fierce Love. Reverend Dr. Jackie Lewis, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you, Kelly. Thank you for what you do in the world. I'm so grateful. Getting the SN is produced by Second City Works and WGM Radio. Our editor and producer is L.F. Garris. We get support at the Second City from Jenny Crowley, Abby Bumblebear, Mike Farinaccio, and Colleen Fahey. The music you hear at the beginning and end of the show is by Jukebox the Ghost. If you have questions, guest ideas, or if you want more information on working with Second City Works, you can go to www.secondcityworks.com, or you can email us directly at works at secondcity.com.
once survived.